Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda. I'm a biochemist working as a scientific editor for grants and manuscripts. I'm Ian. I'm a plant scientist and I'm a virtual lab manager and editor. And I'm Dr. PMS. I'm a neuroscientist working as a biotech salesperson. We all have different experiences outside of the academy, but we are still in recovery. We'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter as recovering academics managing our careers and lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Series 4 of the Recovering Academic Podcast. Um, I'm here with Clady and Amanda, as always, and uh, we have a guest um, who's Eva Ampson, joining us from the UK, Greenwich Mean Time, which is very late for her. Uh, so, to, without further ado, to get right into it, um, Eva Ampson, uh, she has a PhD in biochemistry from the University of Toronto, and uh, she's now a writer and science communicator focused on the common ground between science and the arts. She runs a quarterly newsletter that's uh, easternblot.net, um, that, where you can subscribe, I believe, um, highlighting the collaborations and overlap between scientists and musicians. Uh, Eva has written about science and culture and society for Nautilus, The Scientist, Spacing Magazine, and other places, um, including the science blog that she's run since her days as a PhD student. Um, Eva also runs Share Your Sci and helps researchers communicate their work. So Eva, um, thank you for joining us on Recovering Academic Podcast. Um, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks yeah, for... Thank you for... <laughs> Yeah. Being and... awake until so late yes. to talk right. to us. <laughs> or early. Depends how you look at it. Yeah, exactly. True. Either early. you're staying up really late or you just woke up super early, right? right. Yeah. Like I wake up super early all the time. <laughs> Three in the morning. I, I usually go back to sleep, but <laughs> lately it's been like, oh, I'm up again. Thanks, brain. Um, <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll just start with... Um, you know, our standard set of questions and then let the conversation guide us. But the first question we ask um, all of our guests is like, when did you realize you wanted to leave um, academia? Um, so I left right after my PhD, which was um, 10 years ago now, more than 10 years ago, December 2008. And I, I never really intended to have my own research group. So I even went into my PhD thinking I'm not going to do research forever. Um, but it was kind of during my PhD where I really realized that that was strange. So um, <laughs> going into it, I, I just had this idea of, you know, I want to do something with science. I want to talk about science. I maybe want to teach people science or write about it. I didn't really know um, what shape that would have, but I did know that I didn't know enough and I just needed to do more, continue on along the path and the obvious road to take as a PhD. Um, and then during that, I started to realize like everyone really treats this as something that prepares you for one very specific job, which was a job I didn't want. Um, exactly. So I, yeah, I, I knew I didn't want that. And, um, yeah, so when I when I finished, I didn't even search for a postdoc. That was kind of my my backup plan. Um, 
but yeah, I think maybe to go to go back a little bit um, to sort of see where I was coming from. Um, I did my undergraduate degree in the Netherlands, so I'm, I'm from there. I was in high school there and university mm-hmm. for my undergrad degree. Um, and when I was in high school, I I just loved school. I was one of those weird Hermione Granger from Harry Potter type people who loved <laughs> learning and loved going to class. And I happened to be really good in the science subjects and in math. So it was pretty much a given that I was going to study a science. Like no one would expect me to do anything else. So I kind of felt like that was expected of me. And I did want to do that as well. Um, I, I originally wanted to study environmental sciences. And when I pictured myself um, in my future career, I just kind of saw myself um, talking about environmental science. Um, so telling people um, how we used scientific knowledge to figure out how to solve climate change, things like that. Um, but I never really pictured myself doing research. I was always like talking or teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in undergrad, I realized, um, so to do environmental science, you had to enroll in uh, one of the basic sciences, like chemistry, biology, physics for the first year. But when I did my first year of chemistry, I realized that I liked that much better. And I stayed in chemistry and eventually um, did biochemistry for my PhD. Um, but even like in undergrad, when I thought what I wanted to do later, I whenever I saw a job that I liked, it was like someone giving a talk about science. And I thought, oh, that's great. I want to do that. I want to stand in front of this room and I want to be the one giving that talk. But I never thought I want to be the one doing the research that leads up to this talk. And that was always just kind of an afterthought to me. And it took me until somewhere in my PhD to realize how weird that was compared to what I was supposed to be like. So everyone um, was aiming for the research and just treated the talks and the teaching as kind of an an annoying side project and something that they had to do. And that was what I really wanted to do. Um, And I also started uh, blogging during my PhD. Um, I'd had websites forever and I just met some non-sciencey blog friends first and then I slowly started writing more about science and um, I was involved in the, the, the very early science blogging community. Um, the, I went to the very first science blogging conference in 2007. It was, uh, it was really fun. It was in, uh, in North Carolina and there were so many, well, there weren't even that many people there. That was the thing. There were maybe a um, hundred at most. Um, so you kind of had a chance to talk to everyone and there were people who thought like me, who just really liked communicating science and writing about it and talking about it. And so I could kind of see what those people did. And there were science writers and there were um, there were professors who were just really interested in teaching and realized that that was something that they were exceptionally interested in compared to their colleagues. And there were people interested in publishing and just all these different aspects of talking about science and I started to figure out that there was this whole science communication community um, and I started doing more more and more in that area during my PhD and um, yeah so when I got to the end of it I 
basically said, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, unfortunately, that was also the year that the economy completely collapsed. Um, so Ooh. there were Oof. all these internships um, before then. Um, I think uh, Nature had a science writing internship and um, mm -hmm. there were a couple of other places. And suddenly in 2008, they were all gone and they all said, no, we're not taking any interns this year. So I couldn't apply to any of that. And I'd been looking at it for years. And I thought next year, in my last year, I'm going to apply. And it wasn't there. Um, so I just tried freelancing with the tiny bit of writing experience that I had. And I had no clue what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, people felt sorry for me. So I basically got, got some work through, um, like, people that knew me, people that knew my supervisor. And they said, oh yeah, I actually need someone for this. I need someone for that. I had a six month contract setting up a website and doing some teaching for undergrad biology students. And I did some medical writing, and, but it just wasn't enough. So I was also um, just applying to other jobs and I gave myself this deadline. I said, if I don't have like a science communication job after a year, I'm going to have to apply for postdocs. Um, I figured I could still get a postdoc if I've been away for a year, but it shouldn't be much more than that. Mm -hmm. uh, and luckily, within pretty much within exactly a year of um, of finishing my PhD, I got a job offer at um, a publishing company in the in the UK, um, and I had applied to a couple of academic publishers for editing jobs because I kind of thought those are the jobs that I can do. Like they ask for people with PhD. Turns out in reality, they mostly want people with, who've done a postdoc. Um, so oh, I didn't really? have, yeah, a lot of the times I didn't oh, get the job funny. because I didn't have any research experience. And I was like, I just did a six year PhD. <laughs> How much more experience mm -hmm. do I need? Um, but yeah, the, I, I sent my application to, um, uh, so one of the places I sent it to was the Journal Development, which is based in Cambridge, yeah. and they needed someone, um, they, they basically needed someone with exactly my experience in science blogging and my research background, because they set up, um, it, it still exists, it's called The Node. You set blog. that up? Yeah, yeah, I set yeah. up the node, um, a blog for developmental biologists. And uh, so, yeah, it's been around for um, nine years now. Uh, nice. So nine, nine years ago, I set up that and that really helped me um, just start the rest of my career. I didn't like living in Cambridge, so um, I was very honest about that when I worked there as well. I said, look, I, I like this job, I just don't like Cambridge, and I was really miserable there. Yeah, I started looking, a... <laughs> looking for jobs in London. Because <laughs> Cambridge, like, I guess for maybe those not familiar with the UK, Cambridge is a smaller university town um, and, that's... Yeah. A couple, what, an hour or two away from London proper? Oh, not even. 45 minutes. 45 minutes, um, okay. But yeah, by, at least by train, it's 45 minutes. But yeah. um, if you're not part of university, there's nothing there. So yeah. if you're part of university, it's nice. You've got this, this kind of built-in community in Cambridge. But if you're not, and I wasn't, Right. then it's a very isolating place um, because the entire city center is the university pretty much. 
Um, right. So yeah, I found that very difficult. <laughs> I know somebody who who's in Cambridge, and like I was gonna send them like a gift or look at something like oh coffee shop, and I was like I'm looking at Google Maps and like trying to find places, and I was like wait, there's like literally mm-hmm. nothing here. Like... No. <laughs> so Eva, <clears throat> you were yeah. mentioning that you always wanted to. Um, you felt like you always wanted. You never wanted to go on the research uh, no. track. And then suddenly you realized that you were the one kind of like different because everybody mm-hmm. was pursuing science and research. And how was like the others when when you were telling them that you didn't want to do that, like your supervisor, your colleagues, uh, how was... Um... Well, my, my colleagues understood because uh, a lot of them also didn't really want to do research. Um, <laughs> so I had two of my lab mates went into teaching. Uh, one of them um, kind of had to do another study on the side while we were there. Um, so, yeah, a lot of them understood just wanting to focus on other things. Um, my supervisor that took longer to make her understand. <laughs> and I also d- didn't tell her for the longest time that I had the science blog. I think um, one of the other professors in the department eventually told her, and I don't know if he did it by accident, assuming that she knew or if he just brought it up um, in conversation. Um, but he was a blogger too, um, Larry Moran, and he knew about my blog through the, the science blog blog community um so yeah we were in the same department and i think that's that's what she first heard about it but she didn't quite understand maybe what what it was that i did um and why it was important to me um and then i think a year or so after that um i was doing some freelance writing and i wrote this piece for the scientist and they wanted to mention the lab that i was in in my bio so I thought, okay, I'm going to have to tell her now because her name is going to be in this piece. And so I just I just offered it up as, so there's this opportunity to mention the lab in The Scientist. <laughs> that was kind of my, my way in. And then it immediately, you know, it sounded more, more real and more relevant. And so she was kind of supportive near the end um, and helped me think about jobs that I could do. So um, encouraging me to apply to editorial jobs at journals and things like that. And um, yeah, and and I, one of the um, freelance jobs I got near the end that was also um, kind of indirectly through her. So it did eventually she, she realized that I had other skills and it was always just so obvious that I wasn't good at the research itself, but I was better at like writing it up or giving a talk about it. And it was even, where your passion was, right? Yeah. It was where and, you liked it to do. And it was the one, like if that was the, if, if she, she had a pretty big lab with like always at about 10 people at a time. And it was just obvious that those were the things that I was better at than other people. And research was the thing that I was much worse at than other people. So it just didn't make sense for me to go on in research. Um, yeah. And I, I even did... Um, 
teaching course that the university offered to um, final year PhD students. So I had the idea that I might like teaching undergrads without doing the research. And there are some of those jobs. Um, I did have an interview for one. I came in second, so I almost got one. Um, but yeah, I did this course that was very much focused on the teaching. And as part of the course, we had to write an essay about a topic related to higher education. And the instructor liked my essay so much that he made me submit it to um, an internal magazine for staff at the university. And I was like, okay, see here, I'm writing again. It's this writing keeps coming back. <laughs> um, so that was also kind of um, yeah, pushing me more towards that side. Um, but I did, um, after I finished, I did apply pretty much 50-50 for teaching jobs and um, either editorial or writing jobs. Um, so I was, I had two like main versions of my CV where one of them had the, the writing and the blogging and the communication at the top. And the other one had the, the little teaching experience I had near the top. Um, and I'm just basically trying both, both of these angles. But, but now you're um, not teaching at all? No, no. <laughs> I'm just, you... well, I'm doing, um, I, I'm doing some independent things through um, the website I set up, Share Your Sci. So uh, originally um, my Eastern Blot blog was kind of, I didn't really have an audience in mind. I was just writing what I wanted to write. It was hugely chaotic. So some of my readers were just random people uh, from that found me on the internet and others were scientists. And I didn't really know how to address people anymore. Mm -hmm. So I set up this other site that is very much focused on scientists looking for science communication advice. Oh, and, nice. Um, I did have, uh, I, I set up one work that I sold um, a couple of hundred copies of last year that's aimed at um, people like me, so people in research who want to work in science communication. And I realized that a lot of the people who bought this just didn't want a job in science communication. They were just researchers who wanted to learn more about how could they how they could communicate their research. So I am now working on creating a workbook just for them. So in that sense, I'm doing some sort of teaching, but it's um, it's more independent, so it's not formal. Right. That is really nice because uh, one problem is that it's so easy to get caught on your own research and you just don't know uh, how to translate that to the general mm -hmm. public, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, I've now, so it's been 10 years since I was last in research, but I've always been close to research. So after my job in development, I worked for another publisher in London for three years um, for faculty of 1000, um, which is broad life sciences. So anything from ecology to biomedical sciences, it's, it's uh, across the board. Um, and then I spent a few years back in academia, but still working in a science communication role. Um, so I was always like working closely with researchers. Um, and at the same time, I was learning more and more about um, the best ways to do science communication. And I mean, I'm still not um, the expert, but um, I do realize that there are things that are now so obvious to me that 
other people don't understand. So the big thing, which is currently my, um, I keep bringing this up, is know your audience and think about your audience because that was the big mistake that I made when um, setting up my own blog. I had no audience in mind. It was just chaotic. Um, and and people do this too when I ask scientists if the when they're doing a, an outreach project, I ask them, so who's the audience? And they say, well, the the general public. <laughs> but who, who is that? That's that's everyone. You need to have a specific audience. Right. Like, is it is it teenagers? Is it families? Is it patients with a particular disease that you know a lot about? And then when you start asking more details, they're like, oh oh yeah, no, I was thinking of like children between 8 and 13 or something like that. It's like, oh, okay. So now you have an audience and now you can think about what they want and where they are and how to reach them. Um, and that... it's funny that it seems so simple. Mm -hmm. but... Yeah, it's really simple. But, but no one really things about that <laughs> yeah and and people aren't taught how to do this so yep. researchers mm -hmm. know that they need to do some like public engagement and outreach and communication but nobody tells them how so right. yeah so you're being part of that and like yeah because it sounds like with all the different projects like yeah like you are like you consider yourself a full-time freelancer right yeah As yeah I mean I sp I'm, I'm spending like at the moment more than 40 hours a week so that's Oof. that's pretty full, wow. full time <laughs> that's, that's awesome. a full schedule okay yeah it's uh, that's it's why she's crazy... recording in the middle of the middle night, of the night. Well, <laughs> exactly at least I have time mm -hmm. at two in the morning um but this month um is also crazy because I am going away a couple of times and the, the work is still there and I'm still going to do most of it. It's like, it's hard to just, um, I can't change someone else's deadline. So right. if there's a deadline in October, I'm still going to have to do the work in September, even though I'm away for part of the month. So right. yeah, it's, it's extra busy right now, but it will, it will go back to normal in October. Uh, I hope. <laughs> so I think you just answered or what's your biggest challenge in your current role <laughs> question. Um, Oh, it's not even my biggest challenge, actually. Oh, really? Um, it's only okay. my second biggest. Um, the biggest is um, with freelance work is just making sure that there is work. Yeah. Um, so I, I do now have a couple of regular clients that um, I don't really have to like send a whole pitch. I can just ask if there's work or, or say, hey, I have some time coming up. Do you need help? But for a lot of the things, especially the writing side, um, I spend a lot of time on pitches. So um, pitches when you um, email an editor and say, hey, I have this idea for an article for your zine. Um, and you haven't even written the article yet, but I can spend a full day on just laying out this whole idea. And then they look at it and they say, uh, no, we, we already have someone writing a similar topic. Or they don't even email back at all. That's actually the most common thing to happen. Oh. So you spend a lot of time just trying to find work. And um, I, I think I'm now at the point where I'm I'm relatively happy with the number of people that say yes. So it's never going to be everyone, but it's like a good number that at least email me back. Um, but way, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a lot of work and you have to, if you're really busy, like right now, I'm not pitching anything because I'm busy doing work, but there's, it's going to be a point where this work is done 
And then I need to still, I don't have the next thing lined up because I didn't write my pitch because that also costs time. So finding that balance between doing work and finding work, that's the biggest challenge. And I'm still trying to figure that out. So. Okay. Um, and that's yeah. really hard. Yeah, just, I was going to say. The feast and famine thing with um, freelancing is real. Mm. Yeah, I yeah, I know a little bit about that, and yes, mm -hmm. agreed. But I was gonna say, I I don't know that this is true because like I don't have any other experience. But like I wonder if slightly like doing a PhD and being in science helps a little bit with that, like because you go through the feast and famine a little bit there too, with That's like you. oh my cells are growing today, and like <laughs> you know my experiment worked, my eastern blot went well. <laughs> I know there's no such thing as an actual Eastern block. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is that but, you need to eat, right? So mm -hmm. if you don't have work, right. you don't have money. And yeah, then if you yeah, don't have a salary, then... Right. You no, I to... get it. I... If your cells yes. die, you still can pay your rent. But <laughs> yeah, true. if you don't have a job, right. you cannot pay your rent. So well, it's like a... what I was going to say is it, it's the training wheels version of full-time freelancing in a way like you know you still like you still feel the roller coaster of events of like oh that's disappointing and I, i'll never get my thesis done mm -hmm. and like oh i'm gonna be here another year or whatever and like yeah i i, I think there may be something there i, I don't know that to be true because like i don't like freelancers have all sorts of backgrounds right like not all of them have phds but yeah yeah that's the other thing so when i when i first started looking for work i was still very so when i came up right out of my phd i was very much focused on i need a job that requires a phd because that's what i just spent all these years on and i was applying to jobs that said we're looking for someone with a phd and this or that but what I do now, a lot of what I do doesn't require a PhD. Mm -hmm. And there, are, some of the best science writers don't have PhDs. Um, yeah. And some of the be the other best ones do. So it's kind of, it, it, it has a, I, I, find, I found it really hard to learn the actual writing side and the, the business side of things. But for someone... Mm -hmm. Um, who doesn't have a PhD? It's probably um, harder to get into the you know, like to to understand how researchers work. For example, um, I'm on some uh, some online groups where I talk to other science writers, and that is actually the thing that comes up a lot that the people who have not done a PhD um, don't understand is how researchers react to journalists. Um, yeah. So researchers facts. Have Oh, that's they just don't crazy. know how any of it works. So they don't really, a lot of researchers don't know the difference between um, a journalist and the person who works in the press office. Because when you think about it, they're both writing about your research and mm -hmm. the outcome, the article that you see is, is quite similar. But then a journalist might also um, one day call you up and say, hey, um, I have I'm writing about um, your competitor's paper and I would like to have your opinion. And that is just mm -hmm. something very strange to researchers, because if that hasn't oh, happened to think about that, it's, yeah, it's really it's a really unusual position to be in. And they don't always understand it because they don't know that journalistic side and the journalists don't realize that researchers don't know about this. So you get this strange miscommunication sometimes. <laughs> so yeah. Eva, do you still um, plan to, I don't know, after all this free work 
free working and experience that you acquire to try to go for a permanent position in the future? If if there is um, something that that really fits what I want to do, um, maybe. But they're just in in the ten years that I've been keeping an eye out for like interesting permanent jobs I haven't really seen anything that covers everything I want to do so um so I'm quite your own job yeah I'm quite happy at the moment um just mm -hmm. setting my own um schedule and planning my own things and I, I'm I, I'm sure there's going to be a point where I'm absolutely sick of this and I'm like okay I'm just gonna apply for permanent jobs again but it's been um it's been a year now that I've been full-time freelance and yeah it's been uh, i'm still enjoying it so that's, that's awesome yeah no so. i don't think that you will get sick of it i was thinking that maybe i don't know maybe you will make your own firm you know like mm -hmm. consulting just like science communication mm -hmm. for professors and just going around the yeah. world giving talks <laughs> that would be cool <laughs> yeah that's uh that's it uh, that, that's like requires a whole level of business business sense that I don't feel that I have right now because I, I I do know people who've set up their own business and I I see what they're doing and I'm like yeah that's that's that sounds complicated and it's it's it also seems like you end up doing this is the same problem that researchers have who love doing research they get their permanent position and now all they do is write grants so they're not doing research and if you're setting up a business for science communication, you're now running your business yes. and doing less of the actual writing and other things that are fun. So right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you actually... need to get like a partnership. You know, you mm -hmm. get a partnership that some with someone that does more that likes the business. Yeah. Uh, so then they will focus more on the business, and you will focus more on the actual work going out and yeah. spreading the word. So then it's so, a team. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yep. So I'm actually gonna bring up a book right now that I'm reading that um, addresses some of this a little bit of like founding your own business and trying to like find the right balance between like doing the work that you actually love to do and running a business and figuring out like essentially your own path. Like, but um, this book called Hiding in the Bathroom, like an introvert's guide. <laughs> An introvert's roadmap to getting out there when you'd rather stay home by Maura Allen Aaron's Malay. It's it's great so far. I'm really enjoying it. So and like, hiding in the bathroom is about yeah. creating your own business. That's what she did. Yeah, she runs this business what? called Women Online. Um, and she, like it's about her how she's crafted her career in like not huh. um, like trying to stay at home as much as possible and do the actual like part of the work she loves which is also writing a lot but mm -hmm. yeah also she's like a marketing person and like you know that side of like she enjoys doing the actual bath mm -hmm. work and like okay. she's founded a business with several people now and like that she runs and you know and like she has her time so she's like yeah okay I'm taking a step back from like actual work for a while colleagues this is on you to carry the business forward for a bit and like sure. I don't know anyway it's <laughs> for those people trying to speak balance like, I think it's a maybe a good thing to look up sorry Eva, i didn't mean to like yeah no i, that, I like but... the recommendations so yeah um, <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes for sure and... no i think that it fits with what we were talking right. before totally right yeah. exactly so i just said it fits so well i thought i had to bring this up but 
Um, so like we've been going for about 30 minutes. So like our final question is like, you know, like you address some of this, but like, what would you tell your younger self about, you know, like, especially, I guess, maybe your PhD self about, you know, your career now and like, um, and advice. Yeah. Some advice. Um, actually, I, th I think my, my PhD self was pretty good at figuring things out in the moment. Okay. I think I would have gone back to my undergrad self and okay. just kind of explain how research works and try, I'm, I might actually go back and convince myself not to do a PhD um, mm -hmm. because I, I do really appreciate the um, research experience that it gave me and I definitely had opportunities that I wouldn't have been able to get without a PhD. But a lot of the things that I like doing, like writing, um, I I should have probably just done a master's in science communication and I would have gotten to the point where I am now much quicker. Um, mm -hmm. And then I would have indirectly, like I, maybe I could have done like a, a summer in a lab and just gotten some more experience that way. Or just, mm -hmm. you know, just from talking to lots of researchers, you get a lot of the sense of what it's like as well. And I, I think that I would have liked that a lot, but I was very much in a mindset back then that, um, okay, if you're good at school and good at learning, you have to do right. as much school as possible. And there is this mm -hmm. other degree, a PhD, and that's the highest degree you can get. And you have to try to get that. And I think if I had not thought like that, I might not have done a PhD and just, you know, ended up in the same career path, but quicker. <laughs> yeah, well, you can... <laughs> feel slightly better than all of us Eva, because like all of us did postdocs before leaving academia so you went out at the phd level <laughs> yes you yeah, so I guess ahead that... of time yeah. yeah um yeah and then i guess finally if there's anything else you'd like to say um you know or if clady and amanda have any more questions um feel free to ask or say it eva like um, I just, I, I'm going to go to sleep because in <laughs> six and a half hours, I have to interview a scientist in Germany. So, Whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah um, like okay. I said, this is a very busy month. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, you we'll so let you get to sleep. Thank much. you so yes, much for doing this. Thank you so much this. for doing this. Yeah. yeah so, this was awesome. And yeah, yeah just go to thank bed you. now. <laughs> you deserve and, it. Yeah, I and will. we'll record an outro. Goodbye, Eva. Have a good Bye. night. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Right. So, um, yeah. Okay, that was Eva Amps, another recovering academic podcast. Her website is easternblot.net and also showyoursci.com. Uh, yeah, showyoursci.com, excuse me. Um, yeah, and... Um, I've played and Amanda have been here as always, as well as me. So thank you um, all for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple or wherever you listen to our podcast. This helps other people find out about us. We want to hear from you. Send your questions or comments to show at recoveringacademic.net or on Facebook at Recovering Academic Podcast. 
You can also find all of us on Twitter. I'm at Lady Scientist. I'm at Dr. Underscore PMS. And I'm at IH Street. And the show is at Recovering a CAD. You can find all our episodes and subscribe to our newsletter on our website at recoveringacademic.net. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower.